0: Hello and welcome to Do the Film Thing, a film appreciation and analysis podcast. I am your host, Victor Omoyo, and this is episode 5 of season 1. In this audio essay, we will explore the 1997 film Eve's Bayou, the debut feature of director Casey Lemons, starring Journey Smollett, Samuel L. Jackson, Lynn Whitfield, Debbie Morgan, Megan Good, and Diane Carroll. Memory is a selection of images, some elusive, others imprinted indelibly on the brain. The summer I killed my father, I was ten years old. These words, accompanied by stark, quick-cutting black-and-white imagery of a man and a woman in a carnal embrace, set the tone of Eve's Bayou, a film that explores the fleeting nature of memory, Truth and dreams, all enveloped by the heavy cloak of grief. Set in 1960s Louisiana, the film follows the Batiste family, which includes young Eve, played by Jurnee Smollett, her older sister Cicely, played by Megan Good, the popular and philandering physician Lewis, played by Samuel L. Jackson, his graceful wife Roz played by Lynn Whitfield, and Eve's psychically gifted Aunt Moselle, played by Debbie Morgan. When an irrevocable incident occurs, the lives of the Batiste family unravel as painful secrets come tumbling out into the open, while the truth remains shrouded by the vagaries of memory. The film opens at a rollicking party at the Batiste family home, filled with men and women dancing and laughing the night away. We catch a glimpse of a couple that's getting a little too frisky on the dance floor, Lenny Moreau, played by Roger Gwenver smith and his wife, Maddie Moreau, played by Lisa Nicole Carson. Two women giddily comment on the site, with one of them saying in regards to Lenny, quote, from what I hear, ain't just him getting it. End quote. Judging from how Maddie also dances with Louis in full view of everyone, this is not just mere hearsay, as we will discover in a few moments. We are also introduced to Eve's mother, Roz, and Aunt Moselle, along with Moselle's third husband, Harry, played by Branford Marsalis, and the three Batiste children. It becomes quickly apparent who the favorites are. Eve's younger brother Poe is the apple of her mother's eye, while her older sister Cicely is daddy's precious girl. Eve is the middle child. She pines for the attention and love of her father, while Roz, who certainly loves her, does not dote on her as much as her little brother. We see an example of this parental favoritism when Louis takes a champagne-filled tray that Cecily is carrying and passes it to Eve before dancing with his oldest daughter, much to the delight of the guests. Feeling slighted by her father, Eve storms off to a nearby shed where she falls asleep. Eve soon awakens to the sights and sounds of Louis and Maddie Moreau getting busy and is bewildered and heartbroken by what she is witnessing. Lewis manages to calm Eve down, but as we will see, troubles simply cannot dissipate with just a few comforting reassurances. Along with the film's themes of memory, Eve's Bayou also explores how expectations tend to fall short of reality. This particular theme is personified by Lewis, the patriarch of the Batiste family. In a conversation between Roz and Moselle, Ross talks about when she first met her husband and described how she thought that he was a man who could fix things, a healer who would take care of her. But once they got married, she found out that he was just a man. Instead of being a faithful husband and father, Louis has a reputation of fooling around with other women, mainly his female patients who seem quite enamored by his presence. His philandering, however, does not seem to sully his public image. If anything, it seems to add to his reputation beyond his home. There's a particular scene where Eve accompanies her father on his rounds, and they visit a bedridden woman who is looking for a different kind of healing, one of the Marvin Gaye variety. Lewis tells his daughter to go outside and play, and closes the door on her father of the year material right there. Eve is not clueless. Right after this scene, she asks her father if he ever wanted any other children, i.e. if he has other children around town. He essentially hand-waves away her inquiry. Lewis's work as a doctor keeps him away from home most of the time. Or rather, his work provides a convenient excuse for him to not spend too much time at home. Roz is left to care for their children, and she's considered by her three kids to be much more strict and less understanding. Louis's absence is felt by Eve, and especially by her older sister, Cicely, who regards their dad with unwavering and unconditional love. Lewis appears to experience the best of both worlds, in the sense that he is buttressed by his well-received public reputation as a doctor, and whenever he arrives home, he's always greeted with excitement by his kids, practically given a hero's welcome. Meanwhile, Roz is left to pick up the pieces and confront Lewis on his escapades whenever they have a one-on-one conversation. Expectations and reality also clash in regards to Sicily. As Louis's favorite daughter, Cicely revels in the attention that her father bestows upon her. At one point, Eve asks her father why he never dances with her at parties, but only when they're alone. The opposite is true with Cicely. Cicely's adoration for Louis is so strong that when Eve tells her about his tryst with Maddie, Cicely immediately denies her account of the incident, even going so far as to tell Eve what she actually saw. We see a scene where Cicely and Eve are sitting in the shed, watching Louis and Maddie from afar. Cicely tells Eve that, quote, they came in to get some more wine, and Daddy told her a joke, and she fell against him laughing, and then you woke up, end quote. Cicely's devotion to her dad is also proportional to her antagonism towards her mother, Roz. She steps on the line of disrespect by actually telling Ross that she's immature, and that she does not understand her husband, further declaring at one point that she will never forgive her mother if she drives him away. For further context, in an earlier scene, Roz and Mochelle get their fortunes read by a voodoo witch named Elzora, played by Diane Carroll. Elzora cryptically tells Roz that, sometimes, a soldier falls on his sword, and to look to your children. Moselle sees a vision, flashes of black and white images of a man's silhouette walking down some train tracks, followed by the image of Eve falling to the ground screaming. This vision prompts Roz to ground her children at home, forbidding them to leave the house for their own safety. Cicely, rebelling against her mom's wishes, leaves the house and returns home, dolled up with makeup and freshly done hair, much to the shock of Roz. This particular moment feels rather disquieting. It is reflective of Cicely seemingly attempting to replace her own mother as the object of her father's affection. What does not help matters is how inappropriately Lewis speaks to Cicely about Roz. In fact, it is borderline disrespectful to his wife. They have a scene where Lewis tells her about how he and her mother met, saying, quote, Men fought for the privilege of speaking her name but holding Roz Redding was like holding your favorite feather pillow, the one you just can't sleep without. But you know how it is with feather pillows. Over the years, they get lumpy and deflated. You have to fluff them up all the time." Bruh. Seriously. Anyway, Cicely giggles in amusement, This moment also serves as yet another example of how Lewis, despite himself, manages to keep his own heroic and idealistic status elevated in the eyes of his oldest daughter. When Lewis and Cicely playfully dance, Eve walks in and interrupts them, capturing their father's attention, much to the chagrin of her older sister, who scornfully looks at her younger sister as if to say, how dare you? Cicely's idealism of her father, however, collapses soon afterwards. During one stormy night, Roz and Louis have a huge fight over his philandering, specifically his fooling around with Maddie, who has been seen by others in town hanging around his office. Cicely tells Eve what happened that very night, even admitting to her younger sister that she believed her story about their father and Maddie from the beginning. She tells Eve that after their parents fought, she came down to comfort her father, during which he forcibly kissed her. Their uncle Tomy, a disabled man who was unable to speak whole sentences, witnesses the incident and drops a glass which shatters on the floor. Upon impact, Louis immediately slaps Cicely, who tearfully runs away. Because of this incident, she chooses to go away for a while by staying at their grandmother's home. To Sicily, her father is no longer a charming, loving hero. He is just a man. A dangerous, lecherous man. To me, Cicely's placing of Lewis on a pedestal, in the context of her admission to Eve that she believed what she saw happen in the shed, was perhaps overcompensation for his constant absences from home and his own focused attention to Cicely at the expense of Eve and Poe. Perhaps in her mind, Cicely had to justify his absences and flaws by focusing solely on his fatherly affections towards her, to which Lewis indulged in a most horrible manner. The cloak of expectations and dreams is no longer big enough to cover the reality of the situation. We will revisit this moment towards the end of this essay, as this very incident is the film's prominent example of how it explores the complications of memory and truth. Perhaps the saddest character in Eve's Bayou is Moselle Baptiste, a psychic who has the extraordinary ability to accurately predict the whereabouts and fates of her client's loved ones. Moselle's sadness stems from the fact that she is a black widow, meaning that all three of her previous husbands have died. Elzora, a rival fortune teller, tells Moselle that the next man she marries will be a dead man which deeply angers Moselle and soon triggers her vision of seeing Eve falling and screaming. Eve and Moselle share a closer relationship than Eve and her mother Roz, as Eve not only relates to her aunt more deeply, but she also shares her psychic abilities, albeit nowhere near as powerful or seasoned. We see a glimpse of Eve's gifts early in the film, where she dreams of Moselle's third and current husband, Harry, dying which actually comes to pass. In most of Moselle's scenes, mirrors play a role in her character looking back and actively revisiting her past as she tells her niece stories of her three deceased husbands. In her conversation with her sister-in-law, Raz, about Louis, Moselle notes that she and her brother are two of a kind and that, quote, one day, he'll open his eyes and see that what he's been looking for is right in front of him, end quote. We see an example of this in a memorable scene where Moselle shares with Eve a story of her late husband Maynard and her lover Hosea. Moselle also notes that Maynard was the husband whom she says loved her most of all. As Moselle gazes into a large full-length mirror, we see both men in the background, Hosea pointing a gun at Maynard's chest. The thrice-widowed psychic says to Eve that in that very moment, she realized that she truly loved her husband, despite preparing to leave him. Anyway, when Moselle chose her husband over her lover, Hosea shot Maynard dead. In a way, Moselle's story is an inverse foreshadowing of what would eventually become Louis' fate, more on that later. Further adding to Moselle's sadness is the fact that despite her clairvoyant abilities, she is blind to her own life, unable to predict the fates of her three husbands. Desperate to seek retribution for her older sister, Eve swears that she will kill their father. Eve eventually meets Elzora to essentially put a voodoo hit out on her dad, She does not tell the old witch who her target is, only that they have hurt Eve and her family. Elzora cautions the young girl by reminding her that people have a habit of dying at their own speed, echoing her earlier statement to Raz that, sometimes, a soldier falls on his sword. In her childish naivete, Eve asks the witch for a voodoo doll, which she expects to use on Louis. However, Elzora informs her that she already administered the curse at Eve's request. Immediately regretting her decision, the young girl dashes to the local bar, where she finds her father and Maddie chatting it up like longtime lovers. Unfortunately, Eve's pleas to her father to come home fail to avoid the inevitable. We then see the silhouettes of a man walking on train tracks. It is revealed that it is Maddie's husband, Lenny. He strides into the bar and catches Lewis and Maddie together, and he sharply asks Lewis if he is sleeping with his wife. Lewis bemusedly and dismissively denies this, to which Lenny replies by threatening to kill the doctor if he ever speaks to Maddie again. Unfazed by his threat, Lewis wishes Maddie a good night, to which Lenny, incensed by his former friend's disrespect, shoots the two-timing doctor dead. Lewis pushes Eve out of harm's way as she falls to the ground, screaming. So, did Eve actually commit voodoo-induced patricide? Did Elzora employ the forces of the netherworld to do her dark bidding? Well, let us rewind a bit. Right before Eve speaks to the old witch, she ran into Lenny at a local market and surreptitiously tells him about his wife and her father messing around with each other saying that Maddie, like her father, doesn't seem like the lonely type and must come home late often, which puzzles Lenny, but he begins to put two and two together. Moselle's earlier vision does come to pass, and thinking back to Eve's opening narration where she says she killed her father when she was 10 years old, it is understandable why Eve would believe that she was responsible. However, Louis' grim fate irrespective of any psychic premonitions feels like an inevitable outcome because of his arrogance and assumption that Lenny would not fulfill his threats Lewis even says that lenny will apologize to him in the morning so little did the not so good doctor think of lenny that he just assumed that lenny would calm down and apologize to the man who had been sleeping with his wife but as it turns out the soldier on his sword. Earlier, I mentioned how Moselle's story of her lover killing her husband was inverse foreshadowing of Lewis's murder. This is true in the sense that what both Moselle and her brother share in common is how their respective infidelities got their loved ones killed. In Moselle's case, it was only when she saw her husband Maynard fearlessly standing up to her lover that she realized what she had the whole time, someone who loved her but it was too late. In the case of Lewis, his infidelity enabled him to take for granted what he already had the whole time, a wife who truly loved him, and a family that loved him, but alas, it was too late for him as well. Returning back to the incident between Louis and some sometime after his murder, Eve discovers a letter that her father wrote to Moselle about what happened between himself and his oldest daughter. Louis reveals that after his fight with Raz, Cicely came down and comforted him, and gave him an innocent kiss. But suddenly, Cicely then began kissing him inappropriately, to which Louis then slapped Cicely in response. She looked at her father with a deep, irrevocable hurt that could never be mended again, and ran away. Angered by these revelations, Eve confronts Cicely about this and accuses her sister of lying about what happened. Cicely insists that her version of the incident was true, and then Eve asks for her sister's hands. We then catch a brief glimpse into Eve's own psychic visions. A brief shot of Sicily and Louis kissing, Uncle Tomy reacting in horror, dropping a glass that shatters on the floor, and Louis striking Sicily. Eve's vision offers no further clarification of what's happened, and honestly, it does not truly matter what exactly was the true version. The most crucial thing to acknowledge was that a boundary between Sicily and Louis was crossed. A boundary between father and daughter that should never have been broken at all. All that is left is the trauma and pain that that incident caused. Trauma that both Cicely and Eve have to face and deal with moving forward. How will they confront this pain? I'm not sure that any clairvoyant visions will hold the answer. But as Eve says in her final narration, quote, "...the truth changes color depending on the light, and tomorrow can be clearer than yesterday." End quote. Eve's Bayou is truly a fascinating film, and the origins of the film itself make it an even richer experience. It is a prime example of the tried-and-true axiom write what you know. In her interview with the Criterion Collection, Casey Lemons explained that she was inspired to write Eve's Bayou from her family trips she took to Louisiana as a child. In fact, the character of Moselle, brilliantly played by Debbie Morgan, was based on Lemons' aunt Muriel, who went to a fair one day and came across a fortune teller who actually told her that Muriel was a black widow. Additionally, according to Lemons, her aunt Muriel also had several husbands who died mysteriously, and she also practiced voodoo. Art imitating life. Lemons also met producer Caldecott Chubb, who liked her story of Eve's Bayou. When Lemons told Chubb that she wanted to direct the film, he agreed, but told her that she would need to direct a short film to provide a proof of concept Hence, her 1996 short film, Dr. Hugo, starring Vondi Curtis-Hall as a, you guessed it, a philandering doctor. Eve's Bayou* features an excellent cast of actors. Making Good was actually initially cast as Eve, but aged out of the role by the time financing was secured, and was instead cast as Eve's older sister, Cicely. Journey Smollett won the title role. Lemons explained in her interview with the Criterion Collection that Smollett had a spooky quality to her, which was also noted by Diane Carroll. For the character of Eve, Lemons also drew inspiration from both herself as a child and the character of Scout from To Kill a Mockingbird. The film's assembly of talent also included cinematographer Amy Vincent, who also filmed Dr. Hugo. Vincent's work in Eve's bayou is beautifully composed, with vivid shots of the dusky bayou setting and cypress trees standing on the swampy shorelines. The final shot of the film, with Cicely and Eve standing together in the middle of the bayou as the camera pulls back with their reflections upside down in the water, is one of my favorite shots in the movie. Carolyn A. Shropshire served as the film's editor, and her work in cutting together the black and white images that comprise the visions in the film remains rather striking. Eve's Bayou was met with critical and commercial success when it was released in November of 1997, grossing $15 million nationwide against a production budget of $4 million, thus becoming the most successful independent feature film of that year. Roger Ebert hailed the film as his number one film of 1997. Eve's Bayou also received several other notable accolades, such as seven NAACP Image Award nominations and winning the Independent Spirit Award for Best First Feature. Casey Lemons was also the first recipient of the National Board of Review Award for Best Directorial Debut in 1997. In 2018, the film was also selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Film Registry. Lemons continues to direct feature films to this day. Her subsequent works following her debut feature include 2001's The Caveman's Valentine, also starring Samuel L. Jackson, 2007's Talk to Me, starring Don Cheadle, Taraji P. Henson, and Chuatel Ejiofor, 2019's Harriet Tubman biopic Harriet, starring Cynthia Erivo, and 2022's Whitney Houston biopic, I Want to Dance with Somebody, starring Naomi Aki. And that wraps it up for this week's episode of Do the Film Thing, and thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please tune in next Sunday for episode six of season one. You can also catch Do The Film Thing on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and other podcasting platforms. And you can also email the show at do the film thing at gmail.com. You can also follow the show on Instagram at do the film thing. Once again, my name is Victor Omoyo, And remember to do the film thing always.